For the ones who work hard to ensure their crew can always go the extra mile. And the ones who get in early so everyone can go home on time. There's Granger, Offering professional-grade supplies backed by product experts so you can quickly and easily find what you need. Plus, you can count on access to a committed team ready to go the extra mile for you. Call, click Grainger.com, or just stop by. Granger For the ones who get it done. Every team, every topic, everywhere, this is Believe. Oh, pay dirt! Pay dirt! Hi, everyone, and welcome to another edition of the Pay Dirt Podcast. I'm Tom Hannafin. He is Matt McGloin. We are ready to preview Penn State versus Rutgers, which takes place tomorrow at noon on the Big Ten Network. We are very excited about this final home game of the season, and because it is senior day, on top of that, our special guest for this episode is a player who had a very important senior season uh, in the grand scheme of Penn State football, uh, one of the best linebackers ever uh, for the Nittany Lions, number 42, Michael Maudy, former teammate of Matt McGloin. So we're thrilled to have a great conversation with Mike Maudy a little bit later on. Uh, before we get to that, we're going to dive into what in the world to expect from this matchup that's going down tomorrow, the 6-4 and four Nittany Lions versus the 5-5 five and five Scarlet Knights and the old adage, you are what your record says you are. So these two teams, on paper, unfortunately, seem kind of evenly matched, but we're going to hear from our all-star quarterback who can give us a little insight into what exactly we're in for and what has been an unpredictable season. But before that, I want to thank you all for liking, commenting, subscribing, and turning on notifications because we are back and better than ever with a new web interface for the start of the basketball season, plus more props, odds, and lines than ever before. Bet Online remains your number one spot for all the basketball and football action this season. Head to the new updated desktop or mobile website to sign up today and receive your 50% welcome bonus on your first deposit. Just use our promo code BELIEVE50, that's B-L-E-A-V-5-0, to receive your bonus. From basketball, football, baseball, the NHL, boxing, UFC, right to your favorite Vegas casino games, don't wait to take advantage of all the amazing offers available for 2021. Bet online is the fastest and easiest way to bet all your favorite sports. The Paydirt Podcast is presented by Bet Online, where the game starts. And of course, Funk Brewing is the official craft beer partner of the Pater Podcast. I don't know about you. It's been a challenging season. I want to enjoy myself on Saturday. I'm going to be doing the Blue White Illustrated postgame show, and I'm just going to make sure I'm in the mood. So I'm going to have myself some Funk Brewing, especially the Citrus IPA and the Silent Disco IPA. Uh, Matt, I know there's so many different flavors that you've gotten the chance to try because they're right in your backyard that I'm frankly very jealous. Yeah, don't forget about the Lil Citrus IPA. There's a Vanilla Citrus IPA. I've got a couple four packs of, um, you know, a new seasonal beer that they just released called Cozy. It's a like a, a cinnamon, pl- like plum tea IPA. Um, you know, so I can't wait to have a glass of that or two, uh, Tom. But yeah, look, they do a fantastic job. You know, a lot of great seasonal stuff always coming out with new products. Um, it's a fantastic brewery. You know, and I believe, Tom, you can get it at your local grocery store or distributor, correct? 
my my goodness it's like you read my mind yes your favorite beer distributor and grocery store trust me their fresh funky flavors will satisfy your craft beer loving taste buds and for more information uh based on what matt just said visit funkbrewing.com to learn where and how you can get their fantastic products must be 21 years or older to purchase please drink responsibly and of course, fall is here and we all could use a stiff breeze. That's right. This episode is sponsored by Blue Chew. Guys, confidence can take you far in life. It can help you in the bedroom as well, especially when it comes time to step up to the plate. That's a baseball pun, but it's Blue Chew, so we're going with it. That's where Blue Chew comes in. Blue Chew is a unique online service that delivers the same active ingredients as Viagra and Cialis, but in chewable tablets at a fraction of the cost. You can take them anytime, day or night, so you can plan ahead or be ready whenever an opportunity arises. The process is simple. Sign up at BlueChew.com, consult with one of their licensed medical providers, and once you're approved, you'll receive your prescription within days. The best part? It's all done online. So no visits to the doctor's office, no awkward conversations, and no waiting in line at the pharmacy. Blue Chew's tablets are made in the USA and prepared and shipped directly to your door in a discreet package. Guys, there's nothing more attractive than confidence, and Blue Chew can help give you confidence where it counts. So if you could benefit from extra confidence when it's time to perform, Blue Chew can help. And we've got a special deal for our listeners. Try Blue Chew free when you use our promo code PAYDIRT at checkout. Just pay $5 shipping. That's bluechew.com promo code PAYDIRT to receive your first month free. Visit bluechew.com for more details and important safety information. And we thank Blue Chew for sponsoring the PAYDIRT podcast. All right, Matt, let's get into this final home game of the season. It is Jekyll and Hyde basically every single week when it comes to the Penn State Nittany Lions. Um, I apologize for being extraordinarily salty after the Michigan game, but I mean, this is another game on the schedule that is extraordinarily winnable for Penn State. And I think this is going to be a victory that could definitely help boost the morale of the fan base. And I can only imagine what the morale of the players and the coaching staff is like after what has been a difficult season. So, Matt, let's start with what Rutgers presents as a challenge in regards to their offense. The Penn State defense has been playing spectacularly all season long. Who do they have to look out for from the Scarlet Knights? Yeah, yeah. So so real quick, like this, first off, like, this isn't just Rutgers anymore, right? It's not, man, it's Rutgers. That, that's not, that, that, that's over with. Forget about that. This is a dangerous game, Tom, especially since, as you mentioned, Penn State hasn't been very consistent lately. Saturday, noon kickoff. It's going to take some self-motivating here to get this, to get going here, right? And that's what's scary because you don't know if Penn State is going to be ready to play, but you better believe that Rutgers will be. And for Greg Schiano, this could be the statement win for 2021 that Rutgers is looking for. Remember, they win. They're going to a bowl game. They're bowl eligible for the first time since 2014, right? A win like this late in the year can change the direction of your program heading into your bowl game and heading in to 2022, Tom. So this is massive for Rutgers. Obviously, it's a big a game. Any game you play is big, right? But for Rutgers, this is huge, right? And when you look at their offense, when they're successful, Tom, it's because 
Isaiah Pacheco gets going in the run game, right? They like to get him downhill and let him go. They're a stay on schedule type offense, relying heavily on that run game again with Pacheco and Vedral. Vedral can run, right? He's a good athlete, a good solid quarterback. He can run. If he's getting four or five yards on eight, nine, 10 carries, they got a chance of being in this game, right? But if he turns it over, it's not going to be close, right? They're not good enough offensively to get away with turning the football over and having a chance to win. They're, that's just not how Rutgers is built, right? They have to play mistake-free for them to get it, have a chance to win this football game. Time of possession, I think, is going to be big because with a run game like Rutgers, Tom, they like to control the pace. They like to control the clock. You're going to see a lot of dressing, right? Jet motion, motion across formations, right? The pass game for them certainly hasn't been their strength. But they've got they've got some guys that can go. They've got some guys that can make plays for them. Bo Melton, an experienced guy who is their number one ride receiver, just got an invite to the Senior Bowl, right? So you know, so that that shows you the type of athlete he's been, the type of career that he's had. He can make some he can make some plays for them. Uh, I'd watch, um, as I just mentioned, with this guy. I'd watch for some trick plays, right? Reverses, jet sweeps, something like get him get the ball in his hand quick and let him go create, let him make plays. Aaron Crookshank is another good wide receiver for them, Tom, but. He can change the game in special teams, right? If you kick it to him, always big pay possibility. Two kick returns for touchdowns last year. He's got a punt return for a touchdown this year. He's averaging over 19 yards of return um, on punts this year. So it's simple, Tom. Don't kick it to him, right? In terms of being, <laughs> it is, right? Don't take that chance. If you're playing well defensively, you know, you're stopping them. Offense is doing their thing, right? Don't give them a chance to change the game on special teams. Right. Greg Schiano always has his teams ready to play. Special teams are huge for Rutgers and huge for Greg Schiano. And going back to Crookshank, in terms of being an all-purpose player, he's one of the best in the Big Ten. So there's no shortage of talent on this on this offensive side for Rutgers. Penn State's defense gonna have to show up there. I think they're gonna have the work to cut off for them. Like they're look, they're not Michigan, they're not Ohio State. Um, right. They're not Wisconsin. They're not some of the tougher teams Penn State has played. But these are solid players. They're good athletes, going to be well-prepared. They're experienced, too. Those guys have played a lot of football. so And they've won some games, so they know what it takes to win. They also know what's at stake, Tom. You mentioned the bowl eligibility, and I think that's a really key thing for Penn State fans to comprehend is that there are programs like Rutgers that have just not had the success that Penn State and plenty of other brands have had over the years, and that means the world to their players. So there will be extra motivation for those guys that – you might not necessarily see that uh, from your Penn State team this year. And I'm not saying they're not motivated because they're already bowl eligible, but considering what the season could have been, what it is, you never know what you're going to get. So I'm very curious to see how that plays out. Um, you touched on Michigan a little bit and to, to stay with the Penn State defense. There were some instances where um, the rushing attack from Michigan, while it had its success with Haskins for 156 yards, ultimately they netted 141 yards on the day. Penn State's defense held one of the best rushing attacks in the country. They averaged 237 coming into the game. So obviously – on paper, that was better than expected by a lot of pundits. However, the surprising thing, I think, was that Cade McNamara had a good amount of success against what we all agree is a very good secondary in Penn State. Was there anything that was exposed amongst the Penn State defensive backs that you expect Rutgers to go after? Um, well, I mean, no, we talked about that, right? McNamara just took completions. He took the underneath stuff, slowly marched his way down the field at times. He trusted if he uh, the field position battle, right? He trusted that if I have to punt, I can punt. 
right? He took his chances when they were presented to him, right? And I can see Vedral playing that same type of ball on Saturday, right? Um, just continue to take what you've been given, find completions, rely on Pacheco in the run game, use your legs as well as a quarterback, get positive yards, get down, put yourself in that second and medium, second and short. Um, if the run's getting stuffed on first down and they're living in second and nine, third and eight, third and 10, Tom, it's going to be a long day for Rutgers because, again, they're not a push the football down the field in the pass game type offense. Vedral's a second leading rusher for the team, so that's very indicative of kind of the way the quarterback goes, the offense goes. Pacheco, obviously, is probably going to be the focal point. However, Vedral, uh, his touchdown to interception ratio is 7 to 5, so this is not a guy who's going to burn you for 300 yards and four touchdowns or something like that. But, as I mentioned, unpredictability is the theme this season, so very curious what actually happens. Uh, let's flip sides of the field. Penn State offense, obviously we talked extensively about the game management issues, and that's a separate issue. It's more the performance of the offense as a whole. There was some reason for positivity in regards to the Penn State rushing attack against Michigan that was improved. Kevon Lee seems to be separating himself there. Um, we talked about at length on episode 19 how, uh, 19, how uh, Sean Clifford's accuracy uh, seems to be declining, and obviously his health is probably not even close to 100%. So if you're Mike Yurcich and company drawing up the game plan against this Rutgers defense, what do you do? Yeah, I mean, look, I don't think this is going to be that easy of a game for Penn State's offense as some people may think it's going to be, right? It, it becomes easy, Tom, if Rutgers makes it easy, right? And by that, I mean their offense starts turning the football over and Penn State finds himself in very good field position all day. The strength of this Rutgers defense is probably the pass game, right? They're not that great versus the run, but Penn State has struggled running the football. Um, I think what you do Saturday, Tom, if you're Mike Yersich and you're Sean Clifford, you have a simple game plan of what you've done very well all year. And that's it, right? There, there's no need to try to get creative. There's no need to take major risks on Saturday. Sean, what are your top 10 favorite pass plays on first and second down? Great. Give me seven third down plays that you've been very comfortable with this year. Let's go down in the red zone. What are five pass plays that you love this year in the red zone that if I call, you know exactly what you're supposed to do. You're very comfortable with it versus any coverage, versus any look, versus any pressure. Go. I think that's a sit down that that needs to happen. Again, it, you don't need to get, it, it doesn't have to be the full playbook doesn't have to be installed this week for you to go out and win this football game or for you to dominate. I keep it, again, I keep it simple. I keep it basic. Go out, let your talented guys just win those matchups because you outmatch them everywhere, offense versus their defense. Well, with that being said, though, Tom, like I'm going to give credit to this Rutgers defense because there's a lot of good players. It's an experienced defense. Olakunle Farukasi has been as consistent of a player at the linebacker position as you're going to find in the Big Ten this year. Um, the other linebacker, Tyshawn Fogg, has been a staple on this defense for them. Safety Christian Isian is very active in the run game. He's similar to those, those Maryland safeties that we talked about, right? Avery Young, Trey Avery have played a ton of football for them in the secondary. 
Obviously, last week helped them getting turnovers against Indiana, but this is one of the better teams in the country in the turnover margin, right? They're not going to make a ton of mistakes offensively, but they're going to take advantage of your mistakes as an offense. So that's why I think this needs to be about as basic as it can be in terms of a game plan for Penn State. Rutgers, on average, they're 85th in the country in terms of points allowed per mm-hmm. game. I just want to double check that tie. Well, you look at Wisconsin, you look at the Wisconsin game, you look at the Ohio State game, mm-hmm. right? They gave up over 50 points in those games, games where no, they struggled, right? And oh, absolutely. But I want to get to um, their their victories on a defensive side. When they have won games, they give up no more than 14 points. So clearly, we talk about inconsistency that Penn State has had. Clearly, there's Mm -hmm. some inconsistency because it is very much feast or famine for this Rutgers team in terms of scoring. But you do have to tip your cap to those wins regardless of who the opponent is because if you're able to hold people to two touchdowns or less, you will win a lot of football games. So um, I guess that, again, it comes back to my comment about Jekyll and Hyde. Which version of Rutgers defense do you expect to show up? And has that, especially the last few weeks that we've seen from them, one, two of their last three games, was that a product of just facing the right opponents at the right time? For instance, Indiana, all banged up. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I mean, I think it's right opponents at the right time for them. Look, obviously, this is a team that has gotten better. And as you've mentioned, done well in certain games and other games that they've, you know, looked 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 bad, right? Um, but They took Michigan late in the game this year. They took Michigan late in the game last year, right? So this is a team, Tom, that if they're able to put it all together and show up and play, they got a chance. They they could beat you. And if it's me and I'm James Franklin and Mike Yersich, I am expecting the best performance of the year out of this Rutgers defense. Again, you mentioned it, right? I mean, Penn State's homecoming, right? Rutgers, they want to come in and play spoiler, right? They want to get to a bowl game. They want to be bowl eligible, right? And we talk about it all the time, too. Nobody in the Big Ten is comfortable being at the middle to the lower pack. Everybody's fighting to make that push. Look at where Michigan State was at the beginning of this year, and look at where they're at now, right? Rutgers believes that. Maryland believes that, right? These teams feel like they can do that, that they can make that jump. And again, if Rutgers comes out and they compete, they play hard, they give themselves a chance to win. Again, this is the type of game for Rutgers that can change your whole entire program moving forward. Now that we've had a couple of days to really process the the loss to Michigan, and it was something I said at the conclusion of episode 19, is that if Penn State loses to Rutgers, not including the outcome of the Michigan State game, obviously, because it hasn't happened yet, James Franklin will be perfectly 500 between 2020 and 2021. What type of pressure do you think is on this coaching staff? And where do you really believe, based on some of your sources perhaps, the morale level is for the players at Penn State heading into this Rutgers game? Yeah, I mean, you know, every time you say it, like if he, if James Franklin, Penn State loses, he's 500. Like that's still, it doesn't register with me because it doesn't Isn't that seem, amazing? Yeah, it doesn't, it just doesn't seem like that's possible. You know, I don't ever like doubt any team or, you know what I mean? Like everybody wants to win. Everybody wants to go out and play well. Everybody wants to go out and dominate. Um, You know, I think you find out who you are as a player and who you are as a team, certainly when times are tough throughout the week at practice or when times get tough throughout the course of the game. 
So I think that's when, and especially this in a week like this, you're coming off a loss. There's two weeks left. Um, you know, you're playing a Rutgers team at home, a noon kickoff, a game where when you look at the calendar before the year, you check as a win, right? That's, that's where we're going to find out where you're at mentally, right? From play one, are you coming out of the gate hot? Are you saying, all right, we're going to, we're going to beat you down here and that's it. It's going to be over. We're not even going to give you any chance to even compete in this game or even let them hang around for a little bit to decide that you want to play. Right. I think that says a lot um, about a team and where they're at. And we're going to find out soon enough, Tom. But again, like this, you know, this game should scare Penn State. It really should. Fingers crossed. It's gut check time. Uh, tomorrow, Penn State versus Rutgers at noon on the Big Ten Network. Um, thank you all for joining us here for this little preview of the game coming up in a matter of moments. I'm very curious to hear what old number 42 potentially thinks about Rutgers versus Penn State. But we're going to walk down memory lane with the great Michael Maudy here in a matter of moments on the Pater Podcast. So stay with us. But beforehand, we want to let you know that all of us involved in the Pater Podcast are proud supporters of THON, also known as the Penn State Dance Marathon. THON is a year-long effort dedicated to raising funds and awareness for its sole beneficiary, Four Diamonds at Penn State Health Children's Hospital. THON is the largest student-run philanthropy in the world, committed to enhancing the lives of children and families impacted by childhood cancer. Four Diamonds picks up where insurance leaves off to relieve financial stress and provide emotional support so that no family ever has to see a medical bill. Since 1973, THON has raised over $190 million in the fight against childhood cancer. To learn more about THON, or to donate, visit thon.org. That's T-H-O-N dot O-R-G. It's all for the kids. Make a difference in the life of a child today. And on another personal note, we want to take this opportunity to put a spotlight on mental health with a new initiative called Tag Me In. Tag Me In is simply asking for people to tag in on the conversation and help strip away the stigma around mental health. Whether you're looking to lend support, you want to talk, you want to share, maybe you need some help. We invite you to join in on the conversation. We encourage you to make a video if you'd like, post it to your social media channels and use hashtag tag me in and hashtag tag me in United. At the very least, we want to hear from you. You are not alone. Tag me in. Visit tagmeinunited.com to learn more. And joining us now here on the Pater podcast, one of the most legendary linebackers in the history of linebacker U, formerly number 42 of the Nittany Lions. Michael, Maudie, Mike, thank you so much for joining us. Uh, like I like to ask a lot of our guests, just kind of, how's life nowadays, man? Before we hopped on, you said you had a flat tire. So, I mean, it's like, it's been a rough day, <laughs> but how are things going? Could be worse, man. It could be worse. <laughs> things are going well, man. Enjoying the mountains out here. I've lived in just north of Boulder. So, I was got a chance to go back last week to Happy Valley. So, doing a bit of traveling, but uh, enjoying life. So Pazlesny was there. You were also there. He was. I was pissed. I didn't, we didn't. We were texting each other. We we couldn't. We didn't hook up. Um, we were like two ships in the night, man. Probably passed past each other. But um, <laughs> we texted later on. We're gonna hook up um, at some point here in the future. But uh, it's good to have guys like that coming back. You know, I got got a chance to hang out with Shane Conlon, who was an idol of mine, linebacker. Mm -hmm. You, you know, uh, for a while after the game. So Brandon Short was another guy. Um, but yeah, I'm that's why you love coming back seeing guys like that come back to 
to support the program. And but those guys, I grew up watching, so that's that's really cool. How often do you get to actually get back to Happy Valley? Obviously, you're coming all the way from Colorado. Uh, you're a New Orleans guy, so you probably got family back there. But you know, how often do you have a chance to really get back and connect with teammates on a regular basis? I guess. Yeah, this year was was uh, probably the the most I've been back. Um, that was this past weekend was my third trip, um, and I went. It was at Stupar at a golf outing in the summer, which is which was cool. Kind of, it's a quiet time. You know, the coaches aren't buzzing around, and um, so you you get to spend a little bit more time with guys and in the program and, and kind of get the pulse. But um, and then I went up for the Auburn game. It was the first flight out, which was which was awesome. Um, but uh, yeah, that was. This this year was the most I've been back in since I left since twelve. That's great. Um, so one of the reasons that we really wanted to have you on this podcast in particular, and I know Matt's got a bunch of questions for you here in a second about uh, kind of walking down memory lane. But when I think about the importance of Senior Day, and that's what we have uh, tomorrow, Penn State versus Rutgers. It is Senior Day. So much has changed with what that day feels like because guys are staying for five years and now a six year because of COVID. Some guys jump early and they go to the NFL, so sometimes they don't value it as much. But when I think about senior day as someone who graduated class of 2011, um, I think about the tribute to you in 2012, the number 42 put on the side of the helmet. It showed how much all your teammates cared about you. And then I can only imagine how emotional that final year was for you, not being able to partake in a good amount of it. So when you think about this weekend and whether you're watching the Penn State Rutgers game or just reflecting on your own year, your final year at Penn State, what emotions come back to you? Shoot, there certainly are plenty. Uh, it's hard to believe it's been 10 years already. Next year will be 10 years since 12. I mean, Matt, it's, yep. uh, it, it's, it's been a roller coaster. Uh, or, shoot, it was a roller coaster back then, the five years that we had together. Uh, through our time there at Penn State, but um, it, shoot, I was I was talking to one of the coaches while I was there, uh, watching practice last week, and um, and you really kind of get a sense that, especially defensively, that this particular team they had a lot of guys that that seemed to get it, you know, that seemed to uh, really buy in, and and um, and that I think is such a different dynamic because you have uh, it's hard to keep guys for more you know three years and really four years and really cultivate that that sort of identity um, in the college program, especially now uh, in the climate uh, that is, you know, the NIL, the, the transfer portal and everything else. So uh, it was rare. You know, we had 30-plus seniors that had been together, you know, 50-year guys um, on, on that 2012 team. And uh, it's just a special group of guys. Um, a lot of emotions come back. Uh, it's hard to believe we, we were so close to not having football uh, at that time, uh, which, you know, Matt knows very well. And, um, you know, we just had a bunch of guys that stuck together. Uh, really, I'm, next year I'm looking forward to seeing a lot of those guys. Hopefully we get, we get the whole group back and, and uh, sort of just telling stories and talking about things we probably most of us forgot about. But uh, it's just a special time. <laughs> it really was. So it's good to be back around the program. It's good to be back around Penn Staters. And it's good to see them playing, uh, filling the stadium. Yeah, for sure, man. Uh, and it's been really cool to just kind of get in touch with uh, a lot of the guys from that era. Obviously, there's a ton of controversy and a ton of scandal and, and issues. But the thing that uh, Matt and I first talked about when we first uh, really got to know each other on a podcast that he used to do 
is it meant so much to me as a fan and it meant so much to plenty of Penn State fans who are watching this show right now and listening is that you guys were part of the class that stayed. And I want to give it over to Matt because I know he's got some questions for you. But Matt, you and Mike were the two most forward facing players, it seemed, throughout uh, the tumultuous times there in 11 and 12. Um, how much were you guys communicating on like, hey, what are we going to say about this? What are we going to do about this? Because you guys really had to handle a lot, and that was very uncommon uh, at that point. Penn State pretty much was, you know, the players weren't speaking a ton to the media, and you guys fielded a lot. You know, one of the things that I always think about, Maudie, and, you know, uh, I'm not sure if you'll agree with me or not, but it's when you look back, it's like everyone understood their role. Everybody knew what their job was, and everybody was fine with it bigger, small, everybody embraced their role. They didn't just accept it. And like, that's, I mean, again, Mike playing the NFL, like that's hard to do in the NFL. It's hard to do in college to have guys would just contribute. Even if it's on special teams, even if it's just playing a little bit of defense here, they're not getting a lot of carries or not getting a lot of reps, but guys just wanted to be a part of that 2012 team. I think that's what was really special um, about that year. And for me, you know, I was a guy who I had split time as a quarterback. I was a starter. I was a backup for the past two years. So I couldn't, I knew my role. I couldn't be this, you know, vocal leader at the time, right? I just, I had to lead by example. So for me, my mindset was show up each and every day, be as well prepared as I can be, be consistent every single day, um, be the same person day in and day out and make sure that my teammates and my coaching staff knew that when you put me in, I was going to be well prepared and I was going to do everything I could to get the job done. And I mean, you know, thank God we had leaders like Maudi who played a ton of football, who were the face of the program at the time that everybody, you know, looked to and was like, this guy, we support what this guy says. Anything this guy says we have his back. We support him. And Mike, like with that, like Tom introduced you as, you know, Penn State legend, Mike Maudi. And like, it's like, it's for me, it's crazy, dude, because like you're Mike Mowdy. Like, it's we, true, though. It's absolutely but, true. And it is. And, but I'm, I'm getting there. I'm getting there. It's crazy <laughs> for me, dude, because like you're Mike Mowdy. Like, first and foremost, we're good friends. We showed up at Penn State together. We left at Penn State together. You know, you mentioned Shane Conlon and Puzlozny, the Sean Lees, Navarro Bowman's, LeVar Arrington's, right, dude? That, that you're there, you're in that category. Right. And like, and you, know, you know what I'm saying? Hard. Right. And, that's uh, still hard for me to believe. Like, do you that's like, do you think ways. about that? Like, do you think about how, how insane that is, dude? Like how impressive you were at Penn State, how impressive your career was on the field. I mean, how great you were in the media, how much fans loved and supported you, dude. Like, like, do you, do you think about that at all? I, shoot. That's why I went to Penn State. That's why I wanted to go there was to be one of those guys. And, and, you know, every day you walk through that, that hallway, you know, that all, you see all those pictures, all all Americans um, every day. That's all I thought about for five years. I didn't think about all the other ways I would be able to contribute to the program, and ended up being a lot more than football. But uh, really, all I all I ever wanted was to be one of those guys and be um, remembered for how I played the game. Um, and I, it just became so much more than that, um, as you know, and and a lot of other guys just the buy-in factor was so high uh, from, yeah. from walk-on to starter, to coach, to, you know, everybody. And, and it just meant so much to so many people. And, and that's what you, we started. I think we realized that probably 
you know, midway through 12 um, in that summer, you know, when you get like 3000 people show up on a morning practice, um, just, just showing the team what it meant, you know, Letterman coming back on, a, you know, a couple of days notice, like 400 Letterman show up um, all the things that you hear about, you don't really see and, and feel. And, and that's really, you know, what, that's when it became, okay, this, this is, uh, it's bigger than us, you know, and, and to be remembered for, for how we acted in the public eye, uh, doing, you know, not only just saying it, but doing it. Uh, and, and on top of that, playing at a, at a high level, uh, that's, that's really uh, special, special to be remembered for. You know, going back, Mike, um, your dad played at Penn State. You know, your brother, Pat, who's a good friend, who was a teammate of ours at Penn State. You know, a, a lot of kids like in your position before you before you decided where you wanted to go to school, they would feel obligated to go where their dad went or to go where their brother was playing. Was it like that for you? Because you could have went anywhere you wanted. Right? But, or was it always Penn State? Yeah, a lot, a lot of people assume that it was always Penn State. For, for me, it wasn't always that. I, I kind of narrowed it down to three schools. Um, or this was back when you could text every day. So, you know, I was, urban was texting me every day at Florida and, and I really wanted to go there. Um, you know, my, if not for my dad and kind of him walking me through the process or uh, laying out kind of the, the way we were going to make, or I was going to make my decision. It was like, we're going to go visit because you're going to want to commit to every school as soon as you visit. <laughs> That's just the way it goes. Um, you know, they're going to blow it up and, and you're going to be the best thing. Um, you know, they're going to hype you up. And so I, you know, visited Florida. Of course, I, I wanted to commit there <laughs> right away. I visited Oklahoma, um, wanted to commit there, felt good. Then I, my last visit was Penn State. And, and I got to be around Sean Lee, got to be around Vander Linden, uh, linebacker coach, and, and met Z, uh, met some of the guys that were at the camp. It just was one of those things that felt right. I always wanted to do my own thing, and I didn't want to go up there and, you know, I was highly recruited and um, I didn't want to just go. I wanted to make sure it was the right decision for me. Um, it ended up being that I wanted to go where the, the best linebackers, in my opinion, went and, and get coached by Randall Linden and be a part of that legacy. Um, the rest was lanyard for me. Um, so uh, it ended up just being the right place. But that's what made it all the more special, I think. Yeah, dude, it's, it's, it's crazy how things turn out. <laughs> it, it is. And. You know, Mike, I'm not sure if you remember this, but, you know, Maudi was my roommate for my first training camp. And I'll never forget this. I walk forget in, I walk in, Maudi's already in the room. He's standing there. He's got a sleeveless shirt on. And like, I'm, I'm probably 180 pounds at the time I showed up at oh, Penn God. State. And Maudi, I bet you Maudi's 235 or 240 there as a freshman. He's absolutely massive. And I remember thinking like early on, like, look at the size of this guy. <laughs> Maudie's probably thinking like, hey, bro, are you lost or something? <laughs> but uh, but no, like and then like and I, I never and I'll never forget it. And I never forgot it because like when I walked into that room, I, I thought to myself, I'm like, all right, that's a Penn State football player. And again, I was a walk on right for walk on. But looking at Mike Maudie, it was that's a Penn State football player. This is what Penn State football is all about. I have to do everything I can to match this guy, right? That, that is the standard, right? The play, the work, the intensity, everything that you put into it. That's what Penn State football is all about. And Mike, you know, everyone is tough physically, right? If you play football, you got to be tough. You have to be, you have to be 
just a, you gotta be a different cat, right? But mentally is a different game, right? There's certain levels of how tough you can be mentally. And for you, Mike, you know, dealing with the injuries, <laughs> dealing with the injuries you dealt with, specifically the, the ACLs, at any point in time throughout your career at Penn State, did you ever doubt yourself or think like, I'm injured, maybe this just isn't my way, or maybe I should stop? Did that ever cross your mind? Shoot, yeah, every t- every time you get hurt, you're it's just you, that thought goes through your mind. It's just for for me, it was it was hey, I'm, I know I can play. I know I'm yeah. I'm good enough. And if there was a way, if there's a way to get over this hurdle, then it's just going to be that. When I look back on it, um, so the rest was just problem solving and just getting back um, to that level. I, I think once I got into it after the first one, you know, you just get back. Okay, it's one. It's just one ACL. You get to the second one. It's like okay, you know, you got, you play mind tricks on yourself saying, you know, what, cause you got to get back to that level to where you could stick your foot in the ground. And that's a, a whole nother mental, really a challenge. Uh, the third ACL, um, which that was probably most difficult mentally. I know that was, you know, second last game, my senior year, but um, yeah, I mean, dealing with injuries is just part of the game. Um, and you got to be a little bit lucky to, to stay healthy, especially playing the line, a position as physical as, as linebacker where you're hitting every day. Um, and we hit every day. I, I mean, I remember tackling on tackling to the ground on Thursdays, you know, when it's Saturday games, <laughs> like we hit a lot. Um, and, and so, I, yeah, I think mentally was, it became more of a challenge. I mean, a lot of people don't realize how cerebral the game is. Um, and on top of the fact that you're dealing with injuries, you're dealing with other other aspects outside of just playing on Saturdays. Um, but yeah, I mean, you're when, you know, sitting here yeah. today, Mike, when you look back. Yeah. Sorry. Go ahead. Go ahead. Finish. Yeah. Go ahead. Well, well, I was just, I mean, I, that linebacker room was the, one of the most competitive rooms I, I'd ever been in. I mean, we had like nine NFL linebackers at one point looking back um, at various, you know, ages, uh, walk-ons included, you know, so a guy like Josh hole, um, you know, it was a walk on and ended up playing six, seven years. Um, so that's the kind of competitive nature. Everybody wanted to be that level. So kind of the mental part of it was always, it became less about um, everybody just getting in to the NFL. It was just competing with each other. And that I think was a big part of why that room was um, so successful on, you know, on paper. You brought up 2012, you know, sitting here today, like when you look back on it, it's the first thing you think about. I think about the practices, how much fun we had. <laughs> yeah. Um, how, how hard we competed with each other, how much better we got. Um, just, every, just every day, just how, how hard we worked. Um, the rest, uh, you know, for me, it was, it became so much about this dealing with the media and deal. And I mean, you too, as you remember, but um, just a matter of for, <laughs> shoot, just holding on that rope. You know, as hard yeah. as we could every day um, for months and months and months. And, and I was coming off an ACL at that point. So for me, I was like, okay, this is all I got to make it to, to the NFL. Because I would have come out the year before had it not been for that second ACL um, in 11. Because we were, shoot, 2011, we were top five defense. We had, yeah. you know, some studs. But uh, for, for me, that's what I remember about that year. In 12 was, you know, Bill O'Brien, Craig Fitzgerald, uh, Ted Roof, this Larry Johnson, all the coaches, and the, just how, how how close we all got 
in that time. You know, we created this bubble because um, yep. every media, every person with a microphone was trying to flip our words and, you know, tell us what they already had their stories written out. We were just filling in the blanks. Um, but it was a master's class, I think, in media management and, you know, crisis management for us on a daily basis. You mentioned a bubble. It's funny because I mean, I was thinking the exact same thing. I'm thinking like we just created this own little world that we live, we lived inside of, you know, for for that whole year. And, you know, sp- sp- like really that summer, you think about those summer workouts, running hills, running through the sand, jogging back over to the weight room and lifting. Like those are some of the worst workouts I've ever been a part of. You know, I remember thinking, I, I'm not sure if I brought this up before on the podcast or not, Tom, but it, it's funny now sitting here, think about it. But like when you, we would run conditioning, Maori, there'd be times like I would finish a sprint and I'd be thinking to myself, like, think I might pass out. But then I look around and be like, all right, there's a doctor, there's a doctor, there's a trainer. So if I do pass out, hopefully they'll be able to, you know, they'll be able to save me. But like those workouts were brutal. So, but with that, talk about how strong like that team was, how strong that bond was that that team had. That team was, it wasn't just the fact that we had those relationships. I think that attributed to why we worked so hard and how, you know, our leadership across the board was was strong. Every position group had a senior that had been there that knew how to, you know, approach the work. And then we had kind of this, we had a whole new uh, mentality really was Penn State in the new era, you know, that had come through new coaches that, I mean, we worked as hard as I think we've ever worked as as a group because we, you know, we all just believed in what we were doing. I mean, before the sanctions in 12, we were thinking we're going to go make a run. We had, mm-hmm. we had, a, we had a good team. We were 30 plus seniors. And, um, that's, that's all I remember thinking about in the summer and we were, that was the best shape of my life I, I'd ever been in. And so none of this, we weren't thinking about anything else besides just going and make a run. Um, so we had a really good team. <laughs> I remember, that's what I remember thinking. Last question for you here, Mike, and I'll pass it back to Tom, dude. Uh, it's great catching up. I appreciate you joining us here today. You know, uh, what are your thoughts about where, the program was when you left to where it is now. And a lot of people talk about, you know, the 2012 team saved the program, this and that. Do you look at it like that or no? I think we very easily could have gone either way. Um, but looking back on it, you know, especially when you, when you rewatch that, the film, the documentary that you know, we were a part of and you're like, this could have gone either way, you know, like, you know, when we were sitting there, 0-2, for me, when, when I finally got that validation of, okay, um, you know, I was really proud of, of what we had done and it was worth it, was was 2016, they're in the Rose Bowl, I'm standing, you know, in Pasadena on the sideline, like, um, you know, that was, those fifth-year guys were true freshmen while we were there and it just, you know, that we kind of, that we were the catalyst that, then you know had that buy-in from the next class um and those guys really were the guys that kept it together i think i think we you know stuck the flag in the ground and like you know stopped the hemorrhaging um that's what i do believe um and in hindsight that's that's what happened but but um 2016 it's hard to believe we were we were back at that point given you know the the new rules in which we had to play under you know, that's credit to O'Brien and then Franklin for coming in and as like say Quan Hackenberg and that really 
bought in to everything we were preaching back then. So a lot of guys deserve a lot of credit. And the, those freshmen, as you mentioned, were part of the foundation that was set under that 2012 team. So um, my question for you more on the, uh, you know, kind of harkening back to what we were talking about that happened is obviously the 42 decal goes on the helmet of all the players. When you found out that that was happening, how did you react? Well, I found out as I walked into the locker room that day, uh, pregame, and I just folded, man. I just took a hard right in the shower. Just was, just was a basket case. Was balling. Um, that took years to really sink in. Almost still hasn't in a lot of ways, but um, that was the ultimate respect, you know, from the from my teammates. That don't realize when you just you're up every day and just that's just what you do. You know, that's your role. Um, you don't realize the impact that it has on the guys around you. Just because I felt felt like we all just had that mentality and. Um, but that, yeah, that was the most special thing I've ever, uh, I've ever, I guess, been credited with. You know, I wasn't dead. I was, you know, I wasn't dying. <laughs> so I was giving him for the head. But at the same time, <laughs> was, did you say that to guys like, hey, I didn't die? Yeah, you know? <laughs> yeah I did. Um, but at the same time, it still was. You know, I accepted the. Um, the respect that was paid to me. And that was for, for me, one of the ultimate, ultimate um, humbling moments of my career. It's most special. All right. A little more on the upbeat side here. And I think I probably already know the answer to this question, just because I know quarterbacks, you can't touch them during practice. They got to wear the red pennies, et cetera. Did Mike Maudy ever get to really hit Matt McGloin? It's a great question. I, I don't think so. I probably wasn't allowed. Maybe I don't maybe know if Matt would be able to physically remember if he did. <laughs> yeah, I don't know. I was thinking like, didn't we maybe in preseason? I don't remember, like right. NFL preseason, maybe. I don't remember. I don't know. That could have been it. Yeah. Um, shoot, or um, against just the practice where you took a little shot at your your roommate. You let, me you let, me, let me tell you maybe something. Let me tell you something. Early on. Maybe, maybe early on. on. Maybe yeah. early on. You know, definitely before I was like, you know, a scholarship quarterback or like, you know, competing to start, you know, you definitely take your fair share of shots at practice. You know, when you're a walk on work in the scout offense and the, you know, the card and stuff thinking. like that. Probably Let me tell you something though. Quarterbacks in practice, man, stay away. <laughs> stay away. Yeah. We're very, you know, we're very detail oriented out there. We want the ball completed, mm -hmm. right? We need to visualize things. We need to see things. We don't want to be touched out there at practice. All right. That that's 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 just that's right. the way it is. And then and then in twelve, you were the only quarterback that we had. So it was like we definitely weren't touching <laughs> definitely. you. We knew that. It was like nobody we we were sticking up for you, making sure nobody touched you. Every everybody was everybody was careful with everybody. Oh, well, during during, during training camp that year, because yeah, we couldn't yeah, couldn't afford to lose anybody, which oh, was crazy. Right. Oh, I got one more for you, Maudie. I was Bring talking it. this is we were, we were talking to Alan Robinson about this, about mm. um, when Michigan State asked him to play defense. Oh, yeah, yeah, or yeah. Penn, or in Penn State asked him to play, you know, potentially play defense or whatever like that. And I brought this up, Maudie, and I forget if it's true or not. Did, o, did OB ask you if you would ever play offense? Yeah, he did. There you go. Like, day two, uh, like maybe Wednesday. It might have been Tuesday. Sanctions were Monday. And, and Zordich and Fitz and... OB and I were up in his office, up in OB's office, and we we're watching ESPN like 
the ticker and they're listing like the 20 guys that are leaving. And, and it was like 10 30 at night and we're sitting there just like gassed, you know, all day, just, you know, texting and calling people and trying to re-recruit our, our team. Um, and at one point, OB, after like a, you know, 10 minute just silence, he was just like, Mach, you ever play offense? What position? And I'm like, that's what? when it registered. Like, what? Like, we might have that many, we might have 22 guys. Oh, my like, God. Like, literally. That's like, yeah, I played a little tight end, a little fullback, but really? Like, yeah. is it going to come to that? You know, <laughs> and it almost did. So that was, that was my, my, uh, that was my moment of, okay, this is getting real, you know? Oh, um, God. Yeah. It's but funny. Yeah, I mean, we had Hodges returning punts. Yeah, that's, that? what, yeah that's what Alan was talking about, too. It's just it's kind of wild how certain things shake out like that at the college level. But it all worked out. You obviously had a spectacular career as a linebacker, both in college and in the NFL. And now that you're in your post-playing days, uh, I understand you have your own foundation, uh, which we're big supporters of stuff like Thon. So it's very much in the same vein, if I'm correct. Yeah, so my, my dad started this uh, the Marty Cancer Foundation 40 years ago when he when he was playing. His dad passed with lung cancer, and he's been raising money ever since. Uh, since '79, uh, was was actually the first um, like pay performance play that we would donate per yard of kick return yardage. Um, Shell was donating a, a gallon, a penny per gallon of gas um, uh, for every yard that he returned kicks and. And that was kind of ahead of its time back then, uh, but since then he's he's been um, we've we've raised money for research screenings um, by the screening van. We've we've done a lot of things. We've gotten more involved with that since I since I left the game. And in Louisiana, we've been we've been doing some great things there. Um, so we're going to continue to. I've been been working a lot with that with him. I um, the whole family. It's been 100 um, volunteer. Uh, we give back to the community in that regard. Um, so we got some good things coming up on the horizon there. That's great. Outstanding. Mike, thank you very much. We're going to put uh, some information regarding um, Mike and the Maudie Foundation uh, in our podcast description. So keep an eye out for that. Mike, thank you very much. We appreciate the time. Uh, you got a prediction for the game tomorrow before we let you go? Um, I don't know if I can predict much after, after the last <laughs> few. It's been a challenging I'm, year. Yeah. I know what should happen. I know what, what could happen. Um, I, but you know, senior day. I didn't realize it was senior day, but senior day, these guys should take it home. Yep, fingers Truckers. crossed. Fingers That's crossed. That's what should man. happen. Right, <laughs> it's Rutgers. Yeah, 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 yeah. Michael Maudi, thank you very much uh, and enjoy your weekend. Appreciate you guys having me, man. Thanks a lot. Oh, pay dirt! Pay dirt! For the ones who work hard to ensure their crew can always go the extra mile and the ones who get in early so everyone can go home on time. There's Granger, offering professional grade supplies backed by product experts so you can quickly and easily find what you need. Plus, you can count on access to a committed team ready to go the extra mile for you. Call, clickgranger.com, or just stop by. Granger, for the ones who get it done. You know, when you're listening to a true crime story that has an unbelievable plot twist that makes you stop in your tracks? That's what our podcast, People Are the Worst, brings you with each episode. I'm Rachel. And I'm Rebecca. We're identical twins who love true crime cases that make you say, didn't see that coming, and we hate the people responsible for them. Listen to People Are the Worst now on Apple, Spotify, or wherever you get your podcasts.